have you found any secrets to like really find out? Okay, this is like a way that I can kind of find out the truth and try and figure out like who's really right for the program. Right. So there's always the blue chipper in which like, okay, everybody wants to no brainer volleyball wise. You'll take less stuff character wise if they're great. Cause regardless, you got to recruit the highest athletes that you can. Mm-hmm. So you're going to know about them. You're going to try to get research on them. But I found that when you, the back half of the roster is the players that you really have to invest the most in as far as like getting that research done to me, once again, like understanding the people, understanding the personalities of the team. It's like, we want you to be high level people, right? Like high level people. So as long as you can take care of your schools, as long as you can take care of the volleyball part. And like, it's like, yeah, everybody come to college to like find stuff that you want to do. So to me, it's like, it's almost like an outlet. Yeah. You can, you can handle the heat. Booyakasha, welcome back to another episode of Can't Handle the Heat. It's your boy G Swiss. To my right, Jokesy. How are we doing, Jokesy? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. <laughs> All the way across the room, the one and only Hawaii's chosen child, Michael Mom. Doing there. great. Good, man. We look great. We look awesome. Before we get into it, before we reveal the guest, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, allvolvo.com. Doesn't matter what type of ball we were playing, what level, what age. You can be 90. Guess what? They have all the tools you need to play volleyball. And congratulations for paying you 20% off. What's the promo code, Micah? <laughs> Oosh for 20% off, as Micah just said. Uh, link in the bio. <laughs> link Capital. In the bio. Um, but let's get Capital. into it. We have on a special guest. In fact... I might have to take a second here because it just gets me so emotional. <laughs> just just looking at him and just thinking about the whole thing. We found the one person that, one, listens to our pod, and two, allows us to drag him onto the podcast. We have the national assistant of the year, coaches of Hawaii, is now Baylor Bear, the Joshua Walker. Here, here. Thank you. Thank you. Anything, Josh, for you? Anything. Anything. Anything that I want to say? Yeah. Is there anything, let's start with that. Josh, is there anything you'd like to say? <laughs> First of all, I mean, no, seriously, really appreciate what you guys have been able to do together. Really cool watching you guys grow up and just like take this by storm. So it's like as far as professionalism on and off the court, I think you guys are crushing that aspect. So looking Thank forward you. to watching people like you influence the world. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. And right back at you. Josh was a man with a plan. Still is. Remember back in Hawaii, we would – uh. You'd be stuck driving me around, I remember, in vans. And when I always tell that story, and you'd be like, oh, my God, I got Gage again. Here we go. Because how it works in Hawaii, and I have to explain this, is when you're on road trips, the coach has a van, a minivan, and they get four players. And you don't get stuck with me. And uh, we always had a good old time, didn't we, Josh? You had a good time. <laughs> Josh, I had a great time. <laughs> Joshua Roadways. Joshua Roadways. Roadways. All American Joshua Roadways. Roadways all American Roadways. We had to pivot the name. Oh, really? We, Every single person was all. Was it you, Rado? Was it, who was in there? Who was in there? Stein was in there. The two of you has been there. Um, we had a lot of. That van was very competitive. Very <laughs> good players in that van. And then, like, as people got like older, then they would uh, shift out to other vans but like i picked up a charlie that's what happened yeah that was that was that was obviously nobody wants to be at the head coach that's just a matter of fact on a team nobody wants to go right at the head it doesn't matter who the head coach is and charlie he had this thing he always took the freshman and our freshman messed it up one year he got so mad and he made all the seniors come and that was my year was, wait it was me yeah or Whoever, you were in Charlie's no, van. No, it was me Whoever and Pat. messed it up, well, Pat, we had to go ride in Charlie's van. No, Pat was talking about something like inappropriate, and then we were also on a four-game losing streak. Not a good combo, let me tell you. <laughs> and then after a game, switched. He's like, yeah, get out of here. I think Austin was in that van, too. Austin, yeah, it was me, Patrick Austin. I forget. I don't know. We're all... We're all uh, Pretty much if you want to be an All-American, you just rode in Josh's van. And, hey. Good man. And how, I, so no minivans at Baylor? No minivans at really. Not one minivan. <laughs> um, I want to kind of, I want to kind of get into that about first before before I compare Hawaii to Baylor. I just want to talk about coaching men's versus women's volleyball. What are the biggest differences in coaching men's versus women's volleyball? 
The biggest difference by far is the substitutions. By far. What are, what are the how many substitutions? Fifteen do you subs on the women's side. <laughs> Fifteen. How many for men's? Six. Gage. I didn't inter- know it was it's fixed. international. Use <laughs> international rules. I don't play women's international volleyball. Men. No know. men's. You didn't know men's. I knew we had six. <laughs> Why did you say <laughs> for dramatic effect? Okay, you, Josh. For the people. Yes. For the people. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So you can imagine with 15 subs, how many different combinations you can do. You can re- literally recruit players that are only going to play three three rotations, back row or front row. Um, change the dy- dynamic of your bench. Um, mm-hmm. More people expect the opportunity to play that kind of thing. On the men's side with six subs, like at some point you're only as good as the weakest player on the court. So the f- 15 subs is by far the biggest difference. And because of that combination, there's more combinations of uh, – like head coaches and what they like to do with their substitutions. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes they want to max it out. Sometimes they want to play like maybe run the six, two the whole time. Um, you can't do that on the men's side. So do you think 15 subs is good for the sport? I think it's, it depends on a few things because yes, more players get opportunities to play. Um, but it makes players more specialized. So I would compare it to, like on the men's side, the top players on the men's side, they're good at pretty much everything. The top right. players on the women's side, like local Augustin, for she had a stint in this past year when she wasn't even playing in the back row. Like that would never happen on the men's side. So, um, yeah. But yeah, as far as attacking in the front row, you get some girls that are really good at it. As far as passing and playing defense, you get girls that are w- at a way higher level at a bunch of different programs in comparison to the men. Like men, you drop down a few a few levels if they're not one of the top ranked teams in the country like their back row defense could be not nearly as good as an average team on the women's side do you feel like that hurts the woman when they go to play professionally because i feel like we've seen jordan larson kelsey robinson like these ball control outsides have longer stints with the national team and like will like continue to start because they're so i guess complete as players and there's been a lot of like huge talent in the NCAA that hasn't made that jump necessarily and hasn't maybe picked up as big of a role as some guys like DeFalco or like on the men's side when you're when you're killing the NCAA sometimes you make that jump a little bit cleaner than the women's side I'm not sure if that's even true but I feel like because internationally it's six subs for women correct right so like Catherine Plummer, Logan Eggleston, like these types of players, then they have to kind of catch up for the back row, pl- like playing of stuff that they've missed out on a lot in college. Do you think that that ends up hurting them? Absolutely. You can even look not just the service E part, the serving. You got middles. Um, you got some middles that don't even serve <laughs> at oh, all. Because Libero can Cause serve. Libero can serve. So it absolutely hurts development as far as oh. long term. And it's like, like what programs are they still like valuing the USA part of it and trying to like still get the reps, like okay, yeah. try to get you the back. Yeah, 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 Some yeah. programs are not going to spend time yeah, yeah, yeah. getting you those reps. It's like nope, this is you're what you're here doing. for four years. You're going to do this for four years, so we're good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So absolutely, it hurts the development. So yeah, it's like, and that's probably what international coaches talk about the most when it comes to bringing American women in. Like you have so many talented players, but yeah, at some point you still have to train them a little bit if they're only playing three rotations or right. they're not playing all the way around. There's two sides of that too, because then there's like <laughs> all the DSs and stuff. It provides a big opportunity for them. To, like if you take away subs, who's gonna go sign? You know, three, four DSs on a roster, or why would you? Because that like on the men's side, right? You know, they're not for the most part. They're not bringing in a ton of liberos that like are on scholarship, I guess technically. So you take away opportunities that way. And did Logan? I don't know if you know the backup. Is she not with the national team at all? Like, did she just not even get the call? Yeah, I, I don't know the background with Logan, but I just know for women that are finishing their college season and go straight to play pro, it is a lot on their bodies because <laughs> obviously uh, the women's season in college, you're playing so many more games in a week, and then you shift to adjustment and living overseas. Like, same thing with Yossi. Like, she was really burnt out after yeah. her first – half a year playing overseas to the point where she just took the year off this past year and just uh yeah stayed in new york with um with her boyfriend but um but yeah so it's one of those things in which it's probably that transition is the most physically taxing and so many new environments that 
if there's time that you're taking some time off, it's probably now. Plus, with the fat with the Olympics coming up next year, like if she doesn't feel like she's in that top group in that rotation right now because it's a big summer for that, then it's like yeah, just take the rest and then see where where you're at next year. But yeah, I'm not sure if she actually got asked back into the gym or not. She'll be she'll be in there for the Pan Am group. She'll be in there. Later. Okay. So, but not the main team. Also, the 15 subs is also a thing where, where obviously when you're players, maybe you have a different mindset. You're a coach now. You were in our shoes not too long ago. About, you know, a, I think a coach, every coach has their own way of coaching. And I think for us, their roles uh, when we're playing is like, just let us do our thing kind of. And then some coaches need to like, I'm not saying don't coach or anything like that. But for us, it's more like, you know, in the match, you don't want the coach to be like a huge, like, you know, you that's why you practice. And then during the games, you kind of let them do their thing and you give them stuff here and there. Do you ever feel like with 15 subs, like the coach is like, I'm going to take over this game or like, like they, they, they end up hurting their team with all these crazy sub or tactics um, rather than helping their team? Yeah, it's, uh, it's give and take. Like I said, just how you even come down to what, how, what, how you train. Like if you know you have the subs, are you actually spending time on front well, that that one chance? And once you run out of subs, when you get past the twenty five, are you actually spending time with your DS being able to play in the front row if that ends up happening and that kind of stuff? But yeah, it's like the coach absolutely has their fingerprint more on the game. Um, but like like I said, it's like whatever. I think when it comes to coaching and playing, finding players that are gonna like want that more. So if you are a coach that really likes to micromanage and like to have your fingerprints on everything, like all the time, you're going to recruit those kind of players in which, okay, they need that. Like even when it comes to like serving, like some coaches on the women's side, there's so many coaches that will always tell them where to serve. And it's like, okay, I know you watch video. I know you went over the scouting report. Everybody should have a good idea where to serve. Mm. Um, but still like some girls have to, they have to see it, right? Whether they know it or not, they want that, that kind of feedback. Um, Cause they feel like, um, it helps them. So gotcha. in the end, it's less about what the coach wants. It's more about what the player needs. And, yeah, at some point the coach is like, we know, like, we can't go out there and play. Um, but you want to give them the tools as they're going. Like, okay, early in the season, a lot more communication, a lot more, like, okay, stuff we got to make sure we we iron out. But towards the back end of the season, the best teams, like, yeah, they're, they're very self-led and that kind of stuff. But you don't get that with every team. Not every team is great, right? How is it – how annoying is it when – the the players don't look at the scouting report for you, because I know in Hawaii that was your like that was like one of your one of the big jobs is Josh would give great scouting report, and then I mean there were cases where some guys <laughs> didn't take it as seriously, but you're up to like three a.m. the night before doing that or whatever, whatever it takes, right? Um, I I put that on me, right? Because that's how competitive I am. If there if I'm going through and taking this time to do a scouting report and there's a player that there's nothing they get out of it, then that I. Like, how else can I take it? Like, all right, I have to make it so there's something that they can understand or something they're going to grasp um, to be able to, like, okay, if they are has a long night studying or something like that or something else comes up in their life and they end up having to play a game, like, how can they pivot? Like, okay, is it short terms, a summary? Like, there's got to be something in there for them to make sure that they can retain the information easier. So I don't put gotcha. onus on them to understand, like, everything. That's gonna, I'm the one that takes all the time, like, being a student after two – being a student athlete is two full-time jobs as a coach like it's my job to go through watch the video come up with the plan and then be able to present that to them like I can't have them spending that same time trying to formulate a plan for them like they should just be able to get the information the most efficiently as possible and then yeah hopefully it sticks but um, if not then there's cues and keywords that will say like during the game like hey remember this person's front row this is what we're taking that kind of stuff and um that way it's like kind of helps them feel like it's more of a team effort versus like if you don't know it we're we're in a bad spot like you don't want people going yeah, to the yeah. game feel like they don't have a solution when things aren't going right it's like that's the thing about coaching you always want to feel like there's a solution well yeah you have well you have kids like that it's like oh who actually had school and stuff and you have kids who just don't <laughs> don't you're like oh if you learn this you get a lollipop get <laughs> <So laughs> to bribe them into learning the scouting report please man the uh no, it's it's interesting though because it, that also is like more like how much they just love the sport of volleyball. We were talking about yesterday on the pod, um, shooting a, a, a pod, and we were talking about how 
you know, the type of athletes that each program is like bringing in and they're like targeting and stuff and playing division one sports. I get a lot of parents that like at our camps and stuff that ask about, you know, what should I do with my kid? Should I send them to this like smaller school, like D2, D3 where they'll play a lot and all that. I'm like, if you're playing D1 sports, you have to love the sport of volleyball because it drives us nuts at UH when we're in academic center and people are like complaining that they have to go to practice every single day. I'm like, like that you should that should be some of the best or the best part of your day every single day like the school stuff I, that's what i'm complaining about hey, man. Like, yeah, i want less of this and just be at the gym all day and so you see that like but it's also a reason why a lot like there's uh programs who aren't you know they're not elite level programs there it's like very mid-major school with some programs and so that shows you like just the difference in in some of the programs the I apologize for my ignorance, but can you explain? Because you were just promoted associate head coach, and I always see that, and I never like research into. It. Obviously, I'm sure compensation and stuff like that. But what exactly like are the like the details behind being an assistant into an associate head coach, and like what that I guess means in a sense. Um, so like a little higher on the resume, right? So yeah. you'll get more like head coaching responsibilities, um, as far as like what's actually going on in the school like like the administration they'll see you in more of like they'll give you more responsibility as well they look at you at a little bit higher level um but obviously it's like the real part of it is the compensation like especially if you work at a state school like as an associate head coach there's a different pay grade so you are able to get paid more as an associate than you are as an assistant so that's the biggest difference but also it comes with like more responsibility too so um so that's and then if you are trying to get another job or something like that it's better to have that title on the resume um than just the assistant and then yeah it's like if something happens to the head coach like everybody already knows okay like but they're sick or something like that they everybody knows to go to to make sure stuff gets done as well so um it kind of just like makes things a little bit clearer for the administrators i would say um, in comparison it's the head coach's job of dumping off responsibility. <laughs> I'm just making the associate that you take away more responsibility. <laughs> smart. It's a smart, smart move. Was that like the plan when you originally came in or like they were just so – like they just kind of decided that after season? Yeah, it was the plan coming in, but every school is different as far as like how people get to that spot. Like mm-hmm. some program or some schools like, okay, you got to make a – get a certain level of success in the season for that to be possible some's like you had to work a certain amount of years so it's really different school to school how Mm. they how they um, kind of dangle that carrot depending on what your resume is maybe you can get it right away um that's kind of what happened with a and m and their coaches like both of them are associated on day one um just because of their um uh, experience that they have so um it's it's different for every school just as far as what their what they value and that kind of stuff and yeah you can have two associate head coaches on staff like yeah it's yeah it's also budget thing too speaking of uh speaking of uh different schools and whatnot what was the like the biggest difference when you got to baylor or a couple differences because if i'm be honest baylor probably has more resources than uh uh is doing a great job men's volleyball top notch <laughs> but this is a power five texas school we're talking about here where ain't no messing they ain't messing around over there so like what is like some like there's some cool things or some like stuff where you're like, okay, like maybe you're like, oh, I have to do this, but then like, oh no, 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 we already have this or, or these are like the facilities or this is what you get. You're like, all right, this is nice. Yeah. It's uh, I would say the biggest difference is just how much more personnel you have. Mm-hmm. So like at UH, essentially everything I was doing, I get to Baylor to like three other people I meet on the first day that are doing stuff I was doing at UH. So you just have, yeah, you just have so many more people involved with the day to day stuff. Um, so it's like, okay, as far as managing all those people and that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, that's a lot in, in general. It's like, okay, to manage that many more people. But also like, yeah, the simple resources, like there's at Baylor there's a place just for athletes to eat and it's like a really nice like uh calf that has premium food and that kind of stuff that stuff we know the athletes need um salad bar (laughs) yeah but like it's 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 really nice and um, uh yeah just the facilities in general like pretty much everybody has their own space where they can train um without necessarily getting distracted like right now 
they're building a brand new basketball facility and a brand new football facility at the same time like just like a Jeez. lot of money dropped at the same time for these two big capital projects that most programs like they're doing one if that but the fact that you can even like oh yeah we'll do them both at the same time it's just it's like yeah kind of crazy is it kind of like when in terms of resources it's like okay oh we need this it's done or oh, okay we need to get this we need to, it's done was that was it like that i mean i'm not trying to was it like that at uh or whatnot or was it like well we kind of got to you know, make sure we have the funding here, funding there, or anything like that. I've, I don't want to paint a bad picture by UH. Great school, great funding, but in turn, like I said, there's there's a big discrepancy. Yeah, because the biggest thing with UH was the travel budget was mm. so much bigger than everybody else's, True. and then they give money for teams to even the conference to, to come and play. And like so, <laughs> UH is Jeez. dishing out a lot more money just for travel from both sides of it. So the operating budget is different when it comes to that. Um, but everybody knows how much UH gets supported. So it's not like it's like, oh, they don't have any money. It's just you have to spend so much more money on transportation than other places. So like being in Texas or even being the Big 12, like the travel isn't nearly as hard. So it's like, okay, when you're getting funded as an athletic department a lot more, then you can, okay, we can not just get a bus. We can get a nicer bus or we can charter more and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. because you have you're operating at a higher level. So you're still you still want to spend that money when you get the opportunity to make it more comfortable for the athletes um but yeah so uh just to kind of circle back to um um the money part and as far as like the differences and how that gets handled um it it depend, depends on like the school in general right. and how much money the school is getting because uh, people don't really look at that. Like, okay, like how much is your tuition and how much is the school bringing in? Not athletics, but the school. Like how much are they generating? And then how much of a chunk do they give that to give to athletics? You have some schools that they're not going to put a lot of money into athletics. It's just the way it is. Um, whether they're getting the funding or not. I mean, you look at Ivy League schools, same thing. Right. It's like, yeah, people, there's a lot. It's really expensive to go to the schools. They're not putting all, pushing that all back in into uh, athletics. So, um so yeah, I think it ranges. I think it ranges a lot um, in regards yeah. to what the administrator values, administrators value um, with the athletic department. So as you are and someone in my position, that's what kind of what you're looking for. It's like, okay, how much are they actually funding athletics? Like, what are the athletes actually getting? Mm -hmm. There is a level in which you don't want to spoil the athletes, but at the same time, you want to make sure that they feel like they have everything they need. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, some of it is like, okay, let's just try to keep up with everybody else. For sure. Got you. And I think, I don't, and I, I'm sorry, you have a question, Joe? Go uh, you go if you're bouncing off that. <gasps> no, 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 you bounce off that. The, the, I was, I was going to ask more. So just again, like the transition, uh, there's two parts of the question. One, what are like the biggest things that you learned, I guess, from both Charlie Wade and, and Milan Zarkovich, the, your colleagues at University of Hawaii? And two, was there something that your new staff in Baylor asked you to bring over? Not, not over from like, uh, I guess duties perspective, but more so from like a program wide, like um, just culture. culture or whatever. Is there anything that they asked you and wanted you to kind of bring over to Baylor from UH? Yeah. So the biggest thing from Charlie and Milan, I think that's unique um, is Charlie wasn't afraid to hire people that were different than him, different backgrounds um, because he likes to be challenged as well. So I think that aspect alone is like you kind of have to respect someone who's willing to like go out and limb and like hire someone that like all right they respect what they've done they respect their work but at the same time completely different background and that kind of stuff so you're going to get different kind of feedback so even just working together and how you communicate with each other it takes time and you have to work on it um so uh, i think that was pretty unique just as far as like okay like we're pretty different staff but we all like figured out how how to work well with each other um and then just as far as stuff bringing over to Baylor is like Ryan was in a pretty unique situation in which like everybody under staff underneath them like moved on. So both of the assistants got head coaching jobs, athletic trainer, same like <laughs> like the academic coach got to upgrade strength coach went somewhere else. Like it was everybody top to bottom. Like he had to hire all those people starting like, in January of last year so you can imagine how stressful that is when you're trying to just trying to get the staff together so this first 
year like coming in like he knows what he's comfortable doing I'm really comfortable in the practice gym like he's really good at that kind of stuff so for me coming in like he probably gave me a lot of responsibility just as far as like okay the prep and the the scouting that kind of stuff but also like tech coordinator like hiring that position we didn't have a tech at UH um, so for me I'm like I don't really know what all a tech can do just because like a lot of stuff we were doing like we just kind of went with all the metrics and kind of went from there um, but yeah like having how unique having a tech is and what they can bring and what uh, how they can help the coach kind of manage like lineups and rotations and that kind of stuff um, but yeah and like just um, just hiring people where you know what their strengths are going to be right away I think Ryan did a good job with uh, with that part of it and then also just kind of as we're going like okay being more specific as far as like what we what he wants and how he wants things but for me this year considering the staff was all new I was like hey whatever you need me to do I can do it um and like I just kind of put that responsibility on me to make sure I'm com contributing as much as possible but I think uh yeah obviously the sex the sex that we had at Hawaii like you lean in on in that a lot like you went at a high level like yeah you you value that opinion coming into the gym so I know Ryan respects my opinion and um, I have a lot of respect for him just because the teams I played against in college like his Cal Baptist teams are always super competitive and I always had a lot of respect for them so um, yeah just things kind of worked out where we're working together now and um, it's been it's been great so far this is kind of on topic kind of off topic um, I kind of have a bunch of questions the first one is why do you think that the middle of the country's kind of exploded for women's volleyball and <clears throat> just because of like the culture of how much volleyball is being played in for example Hermosa Beach in like California um, on the men's side it's always been California kind of and when did that shift happen I don't even I don't even know when that shift happened and why is it that that shift happened kind of um I mean you can look back to as far as like when Title IX started and how there's more scholarship pushed into women's volleyball. I mean, Vanderbilt is just adding women's volleyball. Oklahoma State doesn't have women's volleyball. So, like, that's, like, the only, like, major D Division One school that doesn't have. Everybody else has it. So, yeah. at some point, it's been generations and a couple generations in which, like, okay, they're pushing more money into in women's athletics, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, the fact that volleyball is popular all over the world, like, obviously, we understand that, but it's because it's a fun sport to play, it's a fun sport to watch. And, uh, yeah, it's at some point, like, not everybody wants to play basketball. And then, um, I think even just as far as, like, the facilities that you're having on the, on the women's volleyball side, like, people have started because you're having whatever money you have for football, because the Midwest, like, they got a ton of money for facilities, they're pushing that throughout the athletic department. So now you got really nice facilities for volleyball. Big 10 probably has um, the best as far as like what they've been able to do as far as funding, um, like TerraFlex floors, big crowds, that kind of stuff. So I think it's a combination of um, the athletes just being attracted to that. So you're getting higher caliber athletes playing the sport um, and their dads play football, their moms play yeah. whatever sport in college too. And you're just seeing like their kids just kind of come through and be beast and they're playing volleyball at such a younger age now versus like, okay, play basketball and volleyball and then shift over. Yeah. Um, that, so that, yeah, it's like, it's just got, you just got more eyes on the sport. And I think because of that, it's pushed, it's kind of pushed the level um, all over the country when people are saying, oh man, we can actually make some money off of this. And um, it's, it's, it's starting to get towards, towards that part with volleyball. And then that bleeds into the youth because they are growing up watching a Nebraska or a Wisconsin and then get inspired and have more probably drive. And like, for example, kids in UH, I grew up watching you. And so like being able to watch a high level volleyball team, um, it's kind of rare, at least for the men's side. So that like inspires me and I think helps a lot of the UH kids or kids that grew up watching UH men's volleyball, like, perform at a higher level perhaps so maybe that's why it like nebraska wisconsin baylor texas like them being so legit bleeds into like the youth programs seeing these like superstars and then becoming them i guess in a weird way yeah because that's true yeah for sure because like i grew up watching nba on tv it's not like i tried right right um but even just like when i started playing volleyball it was free in high school for me to play like 
I, then I realized, oh, yeah, not everybody plays for free. Yeah. It's not sanctioned high schools. Boys volleyball isn't sanctioned in Texas. So yeah. it's like opportunity to play, opportunity to watch whenever you want, like yeah. without trying. Like now that so many much more stuff is streamed and then you have like Big Ten Network, um, um, ESPN Plus that's streaming. So you can watch it at such a younger age now that, yeah, it's like you get more kids that are want to play and want to get into it. Um, so, yeah, it's like, yeah, now all of a sudden we have a lot more kids that are just growing up and watch, and it's been a part of their lives the whole time versus like, all right, the only time we were watching volleyball was really the Olympics before. Yeah, for real. <laughs> but, yeah, Hawaii was re- unique because, like, it was on TV. Yeah. Just like any other sport. Yeah. So. It's on YouTube, too. That's the biggest thing also gets posted on YouTube. So that's how you get these fans in the Midwest that are just like – or like the most random states are like, yeah, just find your games on YouTube because they get posted. Used to be a huge volleyball fan too, and then I forget mm-hmm. who it is now. So. But yeah, but it was even overseas. Like one of my yeah, first contracts, yeah, yeah. like they saw my YouTube stuff, <laughs> and they went off of that. Like the game, my games were uploaded on YouTube, and that's what they went off of, which is pretty unique. In which, like, yeah, just the access to the sport is just so much easier. Yeah, than it, than it used to be. And then for recruiting, we talk about recruiting a lot. We think it's very interesting. Um, and I was just listening to this random thing, not just listening, but I had listened to this thing about a, a guy that when he looks for tenants, this is kind of a off topic, but I promise it'll lead back to it. Um, he like does this insane background check. And because of that, he's like every tenant I've had stays for like 30 years and I've never have an issue with them because my initial check is like so ridiculous. Like I go to their house where they live now, I go to like their kids' uh, schools and like ask, is a kid behaving? Like he just goes like as much as he can in depth and then never has to worry about it again. So he's figured like, I'll just put the work in in the beginning. Um, and we always talk about like, how do you make sure you recruit the right kid for the culture and also skill wise? And what are like some secrets or trades? that you've picked up of how, like just how to figure out, because everyone's going to put their best foot forward. Like every parent's going to say, my kid's great. Like attitude's great. Grades are great. Like, and then the coach, maybe their club coach would say the same. Like, how do you navigate that with everyone saying that they're a great kid, great, whatever the case may be. And like, have you found any secrets to like really find out? Okay. This is like a way that I can kind of, find out the truth and try and figure out like who's really right for the program. Right. So there's always the blue chipper in which like, okay, everybody wants to no brainer volleyball wise. You'll take less stuff character wise if they're great. Cause regardless, you got to recruit the highest athletes that you can. Mm-hmm. So you're going to know about them. You're going to try to get research on them. But I found that when you, the back half of the roster is the players that you really have to invest the most in as far as like getting that research done, because like, they make such a big difference as far as like coming to the school, developing over time and having an influence on whoever the, the starters in. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's like same thing. You kind of have to like, we can't officially talk to anybody until June 15th of going into their junior year. Right. So okay. obviously that rule changed recently, but I think part of the issue with the transporter now, you had so many kids making that decision when they're in eighth grade, like, me as an 18 year old, I'm not asking the 14 year old version of myself where I want to go to school. Like, (laughs) so, but but literally kids were making that decision at that time. Right. So I think some of it is like the kids not necessarily doing all the research as well. Mm. And I found that like you want kids that understand the process and know where they want to go and have an influence versus like players that want like, okay, what can this school give me? Right. Mm. So for me, and I think most high-level programs, they're looking for people that, like, they're going to take advantage of the resources that are given to them versus, like, okay, what can you give me? And then, like, we'll see what I do at that point, right? right so right. they're a little bit more um, specific as far as what they're looking for huh. for a school. So when you get on – when you're getting on a call with athletes and, like, okay, like, they actually have questions that are relevant to, like – to your your institution, I think that's more of like, oh, well, this seems like they've been doing some research too versus like, okay, uh, what does this staff have for me? Or what is this, right. what are you gonna tell me that's gonna make me wanna come to your school, right? So Interesting. Um, whether they know it or not, that's something that 
all coaches look for. We're looking for something that is, we always say kind of like a wow factor, but something that's going to connect you to the program. Like what's going to make this player be successful long term? Whether it's like, okay, they might have had three generations, four generations of people that all went to that same school already. Mm-hmm. So that part, oh yeah, they're going to be all bought and being here regardless right. of what level they're at. Um, siblings, like where siblings have played or mm. even if it didn't even have to be the same sport. So you absolutely can get pretty far in depth with your research as well. And then by the time we hit June 15th, like like social media, all that kind of stuff with the top kids, it absolutely comes into Oh, wow. Social media nowadays. Yes. We don't talk about that that much. Well, like, finally. You recruit on social media now. I know, but also just how much access they're giving to recruiters of their life. Who who we talked about it with? That's insane. Maybe it was on the podcast. We We talked about it. We talked about the podcast recently. But you have to. That's a new resource. But but that's the thing. It's like you have coaches that just aren't don't want to do social media like straight up they don't want to do it right so now it's like okay i got to find someone who on my staff who's willing to do it and mm-hmm. then how much time and resources are you pushing in to make sure your own social media is good because that's what kids are following so it's like it's become a whole other aspect and um as far as like branding for your school and then also like okay you're kind of looking at the same way it's like what is this kid posting what are they putting on their stories and yeah like this yeah this attitude that stuff is just gonna like oh yeah it's up there for 24 hours it disappears like nope that's not true it's like they, they they don't always think about like yeah other athletes on the current team might be following these athletes too and it's like okay you're posting stuff now and like they're gonna have opinion about it yeah like i said like recruiting and getting into that it's like it has it's a relationship you're building a relationship with them to see if it's going to be a good fit because you don't know it right away right so you're building that relationship like the other players same thing it's like they're not just gonna they don't care how good you are if you're a jerk they don't necessarily want to play with you so if that's the kind of stuff you're putting out and the coach is still pushing all in like oh we got to get this kid then yeah, you're gonna yeah. rub some heads with some players on the on the team that is like yeah this is not the kind of player we want to be around so wow um so yeah True. no it, it 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 absolutely is evolved more and it's like yeah it's like people might be feeling less connected now than they were before when it comes to social media because like they're always kind of looking for the validation and that kind of stuff all the time um but yeah when it comes down to it just like all right if if that if you're always posting stuff looking for validation that's another sign that like yeah. all right what are you what are you getting out of this what is why are you doing this yeah speaking of that was that i remember we talked about this was it ever concern when we started out of system here or the huddle once it once was <laughs> i remember there was a i remember i heard i was like charlie was might might was about to tell me like to shut it down and like not do it or anything was that ever like distraction ever hawaii if you um, remember it, it maybe wasn't even a big deal at all just out of curiosity to me once again like understanding the people understanding the personalities of the team it's like we want you to be high level people right like high level people so as long as you can take care of your schools or you can take care of the volleyball part and like it's like yeah everybody you come to college is like find stuff that you want to do so to me it's like it's almost like an outlet like right. one of my old play, one of my old teammates Jonas Umloft like he was as efficient as a person that you would ever meet he was so good at switching from one thing to another but like when he like wanted a break he did extreme things like he did skydiving swim with sharks like <laughs> like uh high lining like oh, 610 guy on a high line <laughs> so when when that they, guy was something else right though. that guy was something do you guys remember oh yeah i remember <laughs> he's his favorite player oh yeah <laughs> really yeah Watch them live at Stanford. Watch him and Josh Walker. I cried after they lost for Stanford. And BSF semis. But, uh, yeah, it's like everybody kind of needs that outlet. So, for me, it's like, okay, that's the outlet they have. Better than doing that than just, like, I don't know, do drugging out somewhere, right? Like, yeah. it's like to me, Better it's that like. than crack. <laughs> right? And it's like, okay, All right, Charlie, the, the huddle. <laughs> Pick your poison there, buddy. <laughs> I'll light it up right here, man. Charlie, A or B. A or B. A or B. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, it's like, I mean, you always have stuff, like, especially, I would say, players that get into business and business majors in which, okay, you start falling the stocks. And in, in Hawaii, because 
you're so far off from that time zone when players kind of get obsessed with like, okay, the stop market and when it starts, like, okay, now you're losing sleep over. Seeky. Sorry for the chat. <laughs> I was going to say, you're not maxing out what you can do physically um, or like with your teammates when you're spending that much time away from the stuff that like, okay, that's kind of the reason why you're there, right? So I don't think it ever got to a point where you guys were. Right. It was getting taken away from what your goals were with the team. Right. And, and that's before the NIL stuff. So we were, we were yeah. in front of it. Because now with the NIL stuff, now, like, when you get building your, building your brand is, I mean, you're, you set yourself up really well in some sports if you have, like, a platform and brand. Yeah, it just opens up more doors. I look at, like, branding and that kind of stuff the same way that you kind of looked at academics before. So academics is like, okay, if you get good grades, then you can go to all these schools, right? Yeah. Now I feel like NIL is like, okay, if you're able to create your in, own income, then you can pivot a little bit more as far as what schools you're going to, you can, you can go after because, okay, like if the money's not necessarily a factor as far as like, okay, what they can give you, whether you're in state, whether you're out of state and that kind of stuff. And, um, like, yeah, so you have your own income coming in, then you can be a little bit more particular. Like, okay, I know if I go and play for this program or this coach, it's going to get me to a different level as far as where I want to be. And then you can kind of build off of that. So I feel like that the NIL part of it, it's actually adding to, um, more options for student athletes when it comes to like, all right, what can I actually do? Um, where do I actually want to go? Like, yeah, I can walk on for a year because I'm making this much money or something like that. Or, um, yeah, whatever NIL stuff they'll be able to, to add on top of what I already have. Right. What, what's the support like at Baylor? Like, do you guys like sell out? Uh, you guys play in the basketball arena and right. it looks like the stand, right? You're talking right. about this the other right. day. I've seen it too. The pictures of it, it just, it actually does look like the stand. It is. It was the, the Farrell Center was a blueprint for the Stan Sheriff Center. So it's like right. it's the same building. Oh, yes. wow. That's sick. Yes. <laughs> like even the tunnels, like every, like the, every, yeah. wow. how, many, how many seats? What? 10,000. So UH, when they did, it was 10,300 and they have a little bit more seating lower than, gotcha. than Baylor, but it was Baylor's, the Farrell Center was what? the blueprint that's for the Stan Sheriff Center. Josh likes to so play close to yeah, home. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. So Stan Sheriff Center is amazing. Yeah, we talked about differences. That place is. <laughs> we talked about differences, but as far as like similarities, like I'm literally working in the same building. That's sick. It's a green school. Like, is your office in? <laughs> my office is in the Farrell Center. That's cool. Yeah. It's wow. really nice. What, what's the support like though? Do you guys like, get close to selling out ever for like to, if texas comes to town or no like. it's uh so texas games have been the biggest and you've gotten seven thousand, like and nice. like that was when yassi and then we're playing but like the, i think the top three games we had were all against texas and it's like seven thousand and six thousand people that are jumped to those games um but not as much i think what makes hawaii unique is that for sure and a lot of what the big 10 is doing is as well as what it's a premium event like it's prime time you're putting it weekend you're putting at the end of the like night but big 12 especially like football and stuff like that mm. like it's middle of the day right oh, middle of the day games like you might be playing midweek stuff like that so as far as like what the actual schedule is and like people actually taking their time to go especially when it's streaming now i think that affects our attendance more than like a school like texas in which like yeah their games are going to be at night they're going to put up at the end of the day and um, obviously keep it off the same football uh, football game days. But, um, but the, yeah, Gregory is like 35,000, 4,000. Mm -hmm. like, so we're playing in a pretty big arena comparison. But, yeah, trying to build it still, that's yeah. something that we know we got to be better at. But I would say it's between around 2,000. Um, <clears throat> and uh, 2,000 on average when we're not – when we don't have a big game. Yeah. Uh, sorry, with the NIL, I just have one really quick question about NIL. Again, I do not know the rules very well. I don't Shocker. know. In fact, I don't know anything. <laughs> uh, so I have a lot of questions. Um, but can high school athletes make money before they go into college to, because of NIL? Yeah, I mean the the whole the whole premise behind the name image like name image and likeness is that all of a sudden student athletes like could get compensation for stuff outside of their sport. Like be, like when I was going to school, like. If I was really good at something outside of my sport, I still couldn't get paid for doing it because I was a student athlete. So that's pivot. So mm. now outside of my sport, I can make money mm. like, okay, like YouTube or something like that. I have followers, subscribers, that kind of stuff. I can make money off of doing that before that wasn't the case. So, gotcha. um, so you can, um, and then like, who knows, like there's a lot of gray area as far as what they can actually 
make that in relation to to their sport that they're doing mm-hmm. um that's where you can kind of get a little bit like more gray area with the high school athletes but um gotcha. the biggest difference from nil is before is like okay you can make money before you get to college and now when you're in college you can make money because you're an athlete that's sick i was wondering that i was like i was like are these high school guys like or in in girls allowed to make money because i was like i was like okay now it makes sense got it got it got it um for recruiting for boys versus girls volleyball like boys volleyball you walk into a gym obviously like you said you do blue chippers but finding like the diamond in the rough is a lot easier you walk into a girls tournament is it like overwhelming like how the heck do you find players that maybe you don't have on your sheet Maybe like, cause has ever been the case where like, if it's if it's they're not on your sheet, they're they're probably not gonna get recruited because there's, I mean, how many courts are there, especially at Texas? Like, <laughs> like like how, like how do you find players in just such a vast gym and like so many teams and players? It's similar to the men's side in which okay, you kind of know who the best clubs are, um, and so you can always like find the best. The, so I'll say the most unique thing when I started last summer was like. When I was recruiting at UH, I would always look for like, okay, what local club teams are going to be at nationals, and I'm like, okay, so when I when I ha- when I'm done watching the kid, I have to watch, and I'll go check out some of the local teams, just like kind of support. But yeah, obviously, if there's a good local kid, you want to know about it who might not be playing in the top division because they only travel to nationals, they don't qualify for anything else. So same thing, I get to the women's side, and I'm like, okay, how many club teams from Texas are there actually? going to be at tournament there was over 75 clubs oh my god what 75 clubs oh. at us they support them josh each and every one maybe they need so, support one point here okay. one yeah point. There, there's isn't team so you're literally walking around and there's like a texas team in every pool across all the age groups like it's so wow so as far as like just kind of managing it you know who the top clubs are you kind of have a deal who the top players are and the first day who are they playing they're playing the weaker teams are playing the teams like maybe they have one good player. So that's how other players could possibly get on your list. But you kind of go from there. Kids email as well. If there's a connection or something, okay, regardless of the level they're playing at, if they feel like there's a connection, um, like, okay, really good student, either local, that kind of stuff, reach out, been to camps and stuff like that. <laughs> okay, you go check them out, same thing. Who are they playing against? And I think that's how you kind of how you can kind of navigate it. But, yeah, I get <clears throat> same thing at Hawaii. You get in the gym. First thing, you're I'm there all day. Like I stop maybe to get a little bit of something to eat, but I'm there all day, all the way throughout from the beginning of the game, especially to the last game, depending on who's playing. And you know, same thing, I think on the women's side, there's just so many more schools. Like I could be in a convention center at 10 o'clock, and depending on the player, there's a lot of big programs that are all there. And maybe the head coaches, maybe they're not there in the gym the whole time. But okay, I know I got to go watch this kid at this time, so they'll they'll be there as late in the gym as they need to, um, depending. And on the men's side, it's like at some point you everybody's watched that kid enough that by the end of the day, you're not really getting ahead um, by staying later because there's only so many good players that you're gonna find. But you're watching that top player play a team, their pool got delayed playing at the end of the tournament or the end of the night, and all of a sudden it's like okay, who's who's this girl? Who's this girl? Who's who's uh right. who's balling out against like the last game of the day when everybody's tired and um making a difference so so it's also on like the big part on the girls uh to take initiative and, and contact you so like how many like if they contact you is there like what are the chances like if you never heard of them right <laughs> what are the chances you're going to go to their court and go check them out if you had the tournament that they're at very slim because just there's only one percent of high school athletes that end up playing division one anyway you know playing in right. college so you just do the math we get ton of emails um depending on when tournaments are coming up we could be getting 50 to 100 emails a day <laughs> oh my god so how do you how do you decide like like do like do you, have, do you watch all the video do you have to watch all the video like so for 50 to 100 videos. you watch 100 videos a day <laughs> of recruiting it like so i'm not the recruiting coordinator okay, 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 Baylor, okay so i don't have to do that anymore but for uh absolutely out you go through you click through and you go through and like watch a few seconds if there's nothing that pops out then you just kind of you move on like um you that's a good thing for people to know though yeah. Yeah, put like, in yahtzee bounce yeah. in, the <laughs> part, in the first Component. two seconds Absolutely. you need a hook <laughs> amen Absolutely. even if it's not you 
<laughs> Pull up somebody else's mouth. Put it in there. No, you get hit in the face. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> good gosh, I don't have any shot. good plays. I'm bad. Play. I'll put the the worst. Play I'll put the worst play. I gotta hook them in here. If someone put their worst play, like like it was like one of the worst. You would watch. First would you watch? You would watch. <laughs> it was it, incredibly bad. I'll say the music as well. Like depending <laughs> on the song, like maybe that gets me to watch a little bit longer. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Some coaches like absolutely. Oh, it's a certain song. They're cutting it off right away. But like that's why you have like everybody on staff gets the email. You should email everybody on staff because like. You never know who's kind of gonna end up going through it, but uh, yeah, you like you if you're doing your due diligence. That's why like there's a designation on the women's side that it says recruiting coordinator because you have to have someone that can manage yeah, and go so through gnarly. all of the inter- inter- oh information. Oh my god, because, videos a day, right? That's what I'm saying. So it's like, oh my god, dude. so yeah, we got nationals coming up, and it's like yeah, you're getting a ton a day, and it's like okay, just kind of get through, see if any names like you're looking for the names that you already know as well to kind of pop out. Um, but yeah, it's like between June 15th and now we're getting tons of emails. And it's like, okay, just kind of go, go through and manage and um, mm. stay on top of it. But yeah, it's like it doesn't take much to – Doesn't I wouldn't say it takes much to just get on the list of, for somebody to go check you out. Okay, okay. The, 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 no, I was just going to say <laughs> that's why like recruiting service videos are so boring to watch always. Gage would make a killing if, he, if as a as a highlight editor, yeah. he would people he would make some or sick. Joe Malik, our editor right here. If Gage he started would, a service for that, he could make K-O. a killing. <laughs> but also, but also, this is really random. I don't know if it's big. I just want to know with Drive Nation, everything I've heard about the the legendary Pingdom. Is that talked about a lot in Texas? You had to explain what the Pingdom. So is. apparently, he was bought out. From a, did you hear about well, all this? Explain who Ping is. Yeah, all this whole thing I have no idea about. So go for it. He probably knows way more than me. I just was at an event last year, and people started talking to me about this one coach who came from China like years ago, and he coached at TA, TAV, was there, and he like developed a lot of really high-level athletes, went on big schools, and like, his team's like the team always to play on. And Got Drive it. Nation, who Asia O'Neill, Jermaine O'Neill bought the club, Oh, uh, that he started the club. Oh, he yeah. started the club, brought over a lot of people when TAV kind of shut down, and apparently Ping was bought out for like a hundred thousand dollars from the club or club something. coach. He's a club coach. What do you mean bought out? He's not, he's under a contract by TAV. I, I don't think like exactly. bribe. He probably out. knows more. <laughs> How but, can you? Why are you buying him out? But they call <laughs> what is this? his whole team wears shirts the Pingdom. <laughs> But because he makes them, <laughs> I don't. No, that's what no. I said. Why part of his contract? That's, that's what I said. It's like, do they make him wear this, or does he make them or wear? Are they just that big? Of I, fans he of probably him. knows more than I do. In Texas, I'm sure it's talked so, about. So, so yeah, from what I hear, he's a great coach. Like, there's players on this team now. I'm not gonna say exactly who it is, but they have players that are literally commuting by plane to go practice. Like by plane, who would do plane? that? How many times a week? They practice. They use the same thing. They kind of push it to the uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So. But still. <laughs> who would fly in to come play for another club? God, who would ever do that? That's, <laughs> that's madness. It's maddening. That's I went. I took, I took one flight. No, we had. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. But we had other guys who took flights and trains, trains took and automobiles. one flight. You're right. And then stayed. Well, we had guys that moved. You know, so it's like, anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah. That so that tells you, I mean, obviously they're not doing that because they think he can't coach. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it's like, all right, he has enough credibility. And then it's like, oh, why don't you just go and coach in college? But like, there's a pretty big difference between coaching club and college and like, yeah. you've been saying, like all the responsibilities you have yeah, being in college. Yeah, yeah. And you're limited so much on the hours that you can be there. Like club, like even though you're limited because they're in high school and that kind of stuff, like you can practice as long as much or as long as you need to. Like college athletics, they limit you half of the year, um, how much you can be in the gym and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of stuff you have to do in college athletics that you don't have to do in club. And like, yeah, if you kill it at club level and especially North Texas area where there's so many clubs, it's like, yeah, who's the best club coach? And then like, okay, this is what this is what it takes to get this guy to coach for my club because wow. he brings players. Like, players will yeah, come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in North Texas, where it's so competitive and all the clubs are trying to find ways to outdo the other, it's like, okay, you start, get the best club coach, and you kind of go from there. That makes sense. Texas and athlete. having a legit team brings a lot to – it's like anything else. Like, if you have the, the team at Nationals, it brings a lot of notoriety, and people are talking about your club a lot, and then the your club can become – 
Like a household name. Put together a trade package to go get <laughs> club coaches. The Roger to... But I mean, you can look at it the same way as college athletics, though, right? Because, like, um, Roger doesn't work. Yeah, you look at, uh, yeah, especially with transfer portal stuff, like coaches getting new jobs or assistant coaches getting jobs and first opportunity, like, yeah, their players, oh, this coach finally got a head job. I mean, mm-hmm. start pushing my players towards that because I know it's going to be a good experience and that kind of stuff. So uh, to me, it's like, it's the same thing. It's just like, it's kind of, yeah, you're shocked it's like happened at the club level. Like, it probably happens in the high school level, too. It's like, all right, I want to make sure my kid plays for this this school, right, right, because this coach is there, and then like you just see opportunity, and you just kind of what what people will do for an opportunity, is yeah, priceless. So sorry to go back to the question on recruiting again. So so crazy. <laughs> um, you getting fifty to hundred videos a day. Why? <laughs> Do you guys ever go on recruiting databases, databases or volleyball recruiters? Like, what's the point of putting anything on there? If you're get, like, do you eat one? Do you have the time? Two, like, is it like worth their while? Like, if someone's listening here, and you say, really, realistically, is it a good idea to do volleyball recruiting stuff like that and hire someone or go on the database because you get an insane amount of video just sent to you? Yeah, it it it's so that's the thing about recruiting is so individual based. If you are someone who doesn't want to take the time and you're used to just have paying people to do stuff for you, you probably want to use a recruiting service. <laughs> <Understood>. so, <laughs> so if that, if that's not your strength and it's like, okay, you see value in that and absolutely do it. But like, I see just as much value in someone just taking the time to just write an email or make a connection with your program, um, kind of goes a long way, but like, yeah, it's like, okay, you can think, just think of it a little bit more in volleyball terms. If you are terrible at pra- passing, you're terrible at passing, like, and you want to show yourself in the good light as I'm a good passer, you're going to find somebody who's going to, like, try to help you do that. Like, okay, right. it's the same thing. If I'm terrible, like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to get my information out there. Like, I'm going to find someone who's better at that. Like, I know head coaches that will not straight up not even look at anything from a recruiting service. And then you have some programs that maybe they're not getting the top-tier players, the top blue-chip players, and they need that because – that's the only way they'll find out if a player is even interested in them. Right. So like mm. probably not at the highest level that okay. you, that we're like, Oh, we got to go through the database of recruiting service to find players. But, um, you pay attention to rankings and stuff like that. Like, okay, because that's good for I me mean, if we're able to pull a top kid as far as like, um, where they're ranked. But, um, yeah, as far as like the, like probably d- like lower level D one, D two, those kind of th- like, the only way you're going to find out a lot of if a kid is even interested in you is if you get an email from or maybe a recruiting service saying, hey, this kid um, is just going to go into your institution. So, um, so yeah, it's it like I said, it ranges a lot just as far as like where they are in the recruiting process, like between June 15th and their senior year. Like, OK, maybe I've been going through a whole year and I haven't been able to get in front of the coaches I want to. Now, now what? So. Jared Elliott, John Cook. I need my new starting setter. I need to go on to the <laughs> right. recruiting database. Yeah. <laughs> right. I gotta find if they're interested. You gotta find if they're interested in me. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's crazy. How far do you think uh, Baylor is out of? Uh, so, for example, I guess Baylor was the number one team in the nation what, four years ago. Four 19, years ago. Yeah. Um. How come? What separates you think, or what what steps do you guys do you need to take to become a team like Texas, for example, Nebraska, who's National always champion. there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, but they, this is their first one in a long time. But like being consistently there, like what's like the biggest difference, like being a school like Baylor versus being a UT, um, and what's kind of like the the steps you need to take to kind of make it true yeah, consistently I think there. That's what makes it fun, right? You don't really know right. Texas this past year that it's something that most people hadn't seen. Like they brought a bunch of transfers in and won a championship. Like, so, uh, that's a new model. I think between Wisconsin and Kentucky winning championships recently, like those are first time winners. So now all of a sudden we got teams that never won a championship that are competing at a high enough level to do that. Um, so for Baylor, it's like you're kind of excited about the opportunity. Like, okay, we don't know what the blueprint is to win. Like, we have an idea. Like, Ryan's won championships at NAIA. Uh, Jahida, the other assistant coach on staff, she she won as a player. Um, 
and then obviously I've, I've won. So we know like the overall big picture, what has to happen to have a chance, but you can't rush it. You know what I mean? It's like you want players to get to the level in which they're able to compete, but they have to figure it out. Just like we were talking before, like, like we can't go out and just play for you. So different ways that you coach, different ways you style to get them to get to the level they need to get is so much more individually based off of those players and that team year to year than just like, okay, all of a sudden we're just because we bring in the top players, the top young kids, they're going to be ready to play right away. Like Andrew Rowan's pretty unique in which like that was a question mark. Like, okay, you have, you had a first team all American setter. Who's not your starting setter anymore. And now you have a freshman setting. Is he going to be able to push you over the hump and do something that nobody else has done in, um, since 2006. Right. Um, so you don't necessarily know those pieces until those athletes get the opportunity. So for us as any program, you're scheduling opportunities in which they can prove themselves and be able to get better. So I think how team, how coaches schedule, I think gives you an idea how good they think their team can be or where they want to get. If you're not playing against the best teams or you're just trying to get the 20 wins and play a bunch of cupcakes on the way, um, then you're not necessarily pushing your team to the highest level. Like I think, for example, this past year, Texas, they didn't like they changed the recruiting rule now, which like, or the, not the recruiting rule, the playing season, which you can play, you have more dates. So went from 28 to 32. So there shouldn't be as many colleges playing twice in one day as there was before. But even then is Texas didn't max out like all of their, their dates. They played some pretty high level games early in the season. And then like the big 12 conference was one of the toughest conferences this year. So that's all they needed to get the high RPI and kind of go from there. So the same thing, like we got to make sure we're scheduling um, opportunities to play the top team. So you get, you get that feeling like, all right, if we, if we end up winning, how do we build off of it to be able to do it at the end of the year? If we end up losing, how do we make sure we catch up to have a chance to beat a team like that in the year? Um, so how do you think about, what do you think about Hawaii getting all those, as you say, cupcake games at the beginning of the season then? So the thing that was unique about UH and um, the the second year we won it, it was a pretty big shift in the roster. Like you left, Pat Gaspin, like there was a lot of, there was a, even though like the team was good, there was a shift in like the personnel, right? So we're coming out of COVID. A lot of athletic directors still weren't comfortable scheduling because you're scheduling a year out, scheduling teams to go to Hawaii, right? So you're not getting, you still want to get the, those teams in because you want to have the revenue because Hawaii actually makes money off of their games. So you have to have a certain amount of home games to make sure you're reaching that. But at the same time, it's like, when you know you play in the toughest conference or one of the toughest conferences, you can balance that out a little bit with the early game. So you don't have to play as many hard games in non-conference. Um, because the Big West only has six teams, it's like you have a lot more non-conference games than anything on the women's side. But, yeah, so, like, when you have to fill out the rest of the schedule and teams know that you're good, like, not everybody's signing up to play you anyway. True. The difference this past year was, okay, we knew most of the roster was going to come back, knew they were going to be good. And all of a sudden, like the ADs, like, hey, yeah, we'll send the teams back to Hawaii. So now this past year, you had one of the tougher schedules and you had a lot of those teams at home. So then from the revenue side of it, you're averaging 7000 people coming to the games this year. Um, so it's some of it is like, yeah, you want to schedule them, but sometimes they don't want to play you. And then sometimes it's like, like, yeah, ADs, like I'm not sending people all the way to Hawaii to play and like, who are you going to go play? It's like part of the men's side, I feel like it's growing the game a little bit. Like everybody has talked about that. And even UCLA has gone and played Morehouse and stuff like that. Um, that's important. But um, everybody wants to have the, a tough schedule. You don't want to have the toughest schedule. Whoever has the toughest schedule has not won the championship. Like that's just how it is. Hashtag so, Lincoln <laughs> Memorial Rail, oh, rail, rail splitters. splitters. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was us in 2018. We had the toughest schedule. It, we had the toughest schedule and we ended up not even making it into the tournament because we had dropped a few too many games. And it's one of those things in which right, like hey. maybe if you don't schedule that as tough, then it's a different conversation. We get in for sure um, that year, but. That might be our, might be our closing call. <laughs> Sorry, Josh, you can, did you, you can finish up what you're saying? Yeah, but uh, that's, I think, 
like I said, it's a science to the scheduling part. Is a science to recruiting? Is a science to scheduling? Is a science to training? So even though you have a lot of head coaches that get these opportunities that seem like they're going to do well, there's so much more traps and people realize like to just be able to be successful. And then like all of a sudden you get a head coaching job and you're not competing for in the tournament after a couple of years. It's like okay, you're doing things right the right way. Do you have to already start pivoting? It's um, it's 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 tough that's why they get paid as much as they do even though like we can talk about payment compensation of course across sports um, in comparison to volleyball but um and how we're still like the lowest and we shouldn't should not be that way but um yeah it's uh it's it's tough to kind of navigate all that other stuff when you're trying to like okay i get a new team and trying to get players i want to compete um it's there's it's a lot harder than it looks when it comes to just outside looking in Understood. I think that's our closing call. <laughs> um, Josh, thanks for hopping on, buddy. Yeah. Always a pleasure. I know. Um, Joshua, all the right. way back to Joshua Roadways. All the way back to Joshua Roadways. <laughs> I know as soon as we started this thing, you were just like, please get me on. Please get me on. Please get me on. <laughs> I was so waiting. I was like, man, when am I going to get the call? And now you guys have to get all established and stuff. That's true. And we got, well, I was hoping well, to we hop to on when there's like 10, exactly. 10 we got people watching. We got equipment for Josh. We're like, <laughs> we're like, we can't just have Josh on. We used to do it with one mic. We used to have one road mic. And when we have a guest, it'd be Gage for an hour and 15 minutes holding up this heavy-ass mic, going over here with it, and then going over here with it. And, and then it'd be like terrible audio to begin with. Um, so we're like, you know what? We got to get Josh's own throne, his own chair. Got to get him his own mic and his own camera, and uh, and then and then we can have him on the pod. We just have high standards for you, you know. It. You know, just because you, like you have high standards for myself. Oh, yeah. I, understand. Okay. I totally understood. Um, but Josh, thanks so much for hopping on the pod. Yeah, I just can't wait till the next time I come back and you guys are gonna like be wearing suit and ties. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. we're gonna have two mics. Then. <laughs> two mics. Oh yeah, and two, two mics. Like, your hair done. Like there may be. I was hair and makeup. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be on YouTube for who knows how many years. We can have like Mac or Fade do your makeup if you want though. If you want it. <laughs> hair right. and makeup team. Um, go, go ahead and add the filter. I'll be good enough. <laughs> Before we wrap up, just want to give another shout out to allvolleyball.com. Use your promo code OOS for 20% off. If you're a coach like Josh, you're players like us, it doesn't matter if you're in the volleyball world, they got what you need. Again, OOS for how much percent off, Micah? 20. Let's go. Bingo. Um, just remember, if you can't handle the heat, goddamn kitchen, this has been another episode presented by allvolleyball.com.